Hi, I'm Jamie from Off the Gram. Launching a podcast is a lot of work. Luckily, Gotham Podcast Studio has everything you need to get started. Whether you just need an hour of recording time or a jumpstart with full-service production, Gotham Podcast Studio offers high-quality audio and video recording, reduced membership rates, podcast hosting services, and much more. All from their studio located in the heart of Manhattan. Visit GothamPodcastStudio.com for more information. Now, let's start the show. so scalable to the rest of your life when anger ambushes you in the middle of a conversation with your kid or your partner or your boss instead of being blindly yanked around by it and doing something you may later regret you might have a buffer between the stimuli in your life and your blind reaction to it the only meditation cliche that i actually really like is what it teaches you to do is to respond wisely instead of reacting blindly and that's that's the game changer Welcome back to Off the Gram, the show where we bring you straight into the trenches with us to help you live your best life, channel your inner girl boss, and navigate the ever-changing landscapes of wellness and social media. All right. Well, we are here today with a very special guest. We are so excited to have him. 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 Yeah, your first guy on on our podcast. Yeah, you're you're actually the first one in the lineup. Which is very, very cool and, and actually like a, a big a big thing. We've been wanting to really have a yeah. little more male energy in here. So we're so happy that you're here. I'll but do we're, my best. We're so excited <laughs> to welcome Murrow and Emmy Award winning. Dan Harris to our show today. Dan is a co-anchor on the weekend edition of Good Morning America on ABC News, as well as the correspondent for such broadcasts as Nightline and World News Tonight. He's the author of 10% Happier, a number one New York Times bestselling book about a fidgety, skeptical news anchor who stumbles upon meditation. Dan recently launched an app with the same title, specifically designed to teach meditation to doubters and busy people. None of those in here. (laughs) With meditation and mindfulness now being embraced by executives, athletes, educators, and entertainers, Dan has become a leading voice for pushing the practice into the mainstream using plain English and his dry humor. We can't wait to hear what he's got to say. Thank you for being here. So we always start the show with uh, a couple quick quick things. And we we usually just do like a little weekly catch up if something's on our mind. Christine, I think you had something. Yes. um, Well, I've been recently starting to listen to podcasts more, especially since we launched off the ground. Since we launched. (laughs) Um, I did a lot of research. I need some, some, because it's so overwhelming when you start looking at the popular ones and what to listen to. And I don't know, I need some refreshing different topics to listen to when I'm on my train rides and subway and inspirational podcast. Anybody how about have temper, any? How about 10% happier? Yeah. Um, I listened to the first episode yesterday with the, the Dalai, Dalai Lama. Lama. <laughs> that was a pretty NBD. good yeah. That, that was, was amazing. Big, that oh, was a good get. Pretty Wait, good? Can you tell us how that happened really quick? Uh, I had been invited to moderate a panel discussion that he was uh, part of. And uh, it was right around that time that I was launching the podcast. So I just said, hey, can I get... 25 minutes backstage. That's amazing. And then be able to say forever that my first guest was the Dalai Lama. It's the coolest thing I've ever heard. It's like, it's really like no one can ever take that away from you. Or you could book Dan Harris. That's equally awesome. (laughs) Equally epic. I'm like kind of a weirdo because I'm like a wellness and fitness uh, influencer enthusiast. That's my life, but that's not what I listen to in podcast land. Mm -hmm. I'm subscribed to all of them and I always say I should, but then what I really gravitate towards is true crime. So you said that. That's right. 
right. Yeah, I love the binge-worthy, like, To Live and Die in L.A., all the podcasts on The Wondery. So, like, there's mm. a lot of good ones. I do love Dear Media, who does a lot of the female-driven podcasts. I do listen to, like, Shanae's podcast and, like, a couple other ones that are really good in the girly space. But other than those, mm-hmm. I'm, like, super into true crime. Yeah. I find mm. it is int- intimidating, though, because there's so many things that you can choose from and topics, and you hear different reviews. We should just go look at the Good Housekeeping article oh, where yes. they mention the top 30 podcasts and we're number 11. Oh, so, yeah. 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 We should just read that list. That yeah, is a, great, totally that sounds like a great list. I will. I'll start with that. Smart go down. We'll put that in the show notes. <laughs> People at home. Yes. yes. Give it a click. Yes. So other than that list, I really like the Skimmed podcast. Oh, I everyone likes 10% that. 10% Happier, which is amazing. Um, yeah, I just, I, I do appreciate all of the female leaders that they have on it. I think it's very inspiring. I think I love hearing the story of how people created their businesses and, you know, the pain points they were solving and the process. So I like how they walk you through that. I also really like that NPR one, um, How I Built This. Mm. Oh, yeah. Guy Raz. Yeah, yeah I love good. how they edit that one. I think it's really neat how he like narrates it and splices in the things. And it's just a departure from every other podcast that I've ever heard, which I love listening to. But I just also like to switch it up. A lot of the ones I listen to are almost like um, audio theater because Mm -hmm. they are so dramatic and intense in the way that they storytell. Like Broken Hearts was one of the I just listened to, which was done with Glamour magazine. It was done with one in partnership with one of the magazines. Mm -hmm. Um, And they told a very, very devastating story of a, a true crime situation is like terrible but but i find it so fascinating because it's it really um the podcast format gives them an opportunity to take a really deep dive into a story mm-hmm. and interview people who maybe you know watching something on like an hour of we all know that i love like 2020 mm-hmm. and all of the true crime shows an hour just can't cover mm-hmm. you know i have to check that out yeah, yeah. so thank you yeah. Can we just move into our topic? I am so excited for it. <laughs> okay. I thought that was the show. Yeah. <laughs> right, we're done. Nope, that's our weekly catch up. Um, so excited to talk with Dan today because everybody wants to be happy. People spend their whole lives on the quest for happiness, working themselves sick, earning money, working out to the point of exhaustion, going on extreme diets, ingesting cocktails of drugs, traveling across the globe, chasing promises, and so much more. How many things do you do each day to feel happier? A lot. (laughs) And after having a panic attack broadcast live on Good Morning America, our amazing guest today, Dan Harris, despite his self-professed allergy to all things touchy-feely and new agey, has discovered the science-backed secret to feeling 10% happier and so much more. Meditation. He is here with us today to discuss how we all can access 10% more happiness. I feel better already. I'm <laughs> so excited. Like contact high. Yeah, yeah. totally. Um, I, yeah, I'm, I'm obviously very pro-meditation, but I just want to make clear, and we can talk about meditation as long as anybody wants. I'm not a meditation fundamentalist. I don't think it's the only thing you can do. I'm, I'm a big fan of exercise, and uh, it's important to have good relationships, meaningful work, uh, get enough sleep, eat well, all of those things. I just think that meditation is often overlooked, and that's why I wrote the book. Can we talk about the panic attack? Like, describe yeah. the moment. 
Yeah, it was 2004. I was filling in for, at that time, there was a young woman named Robin Roberts who was the <laughs> newsreader on the show that she would come on and do the headlines at the top of every hour. We actually don't have that job anymore. But when Robin was out, I would fill in for her. And uh, I, was, I had done it before, so I didn't really have any reason to foresee what was about to happen, which is that a couple of seconds into my shtick of reading five or six stories off of the teleprompter, I just, I couldn't breathe. Uh, I was freaking out. Um, and I had to do something I'd never done before, which was quit right in the middle. I just couldn't keep going with the stories. And I had to squeak out a, you know, like back to you, Charlie and Diane Sawyer. And uh, it was really embarrassing. And even more embarrassing than that was what caused it. Because I had, I think, I think what caused it really was like ambition. If I have to get down to the root of it, I had, arrived at ABC News really young. I was 28 years old. And shortly after I got to ABC, there was this big story, which was 9-11. And after that, I raised my hand and said, send me overseas. I want to cover whatever happens next. And I wasn't really thinking about, you know, what the psychological consequences of that would be. And ended up spending many years in Afghanistan, Pakistan, Israel, the West Bank, Gaza. I was in Iraq, for months and months and months, six times, I think. I think, And uh, I came home in the middle of this period and I got depressed and I didn't actually know I was depressed. So I, um, I did something very dumb, which is I started self-medicating with recreational drugs, including cocaine. And uh, after I had the panic attack, I went to a doctor. He's an expert in panic. I didn't know there was such a thing. And he asked me a bunch of questions. One of the questions was, do you do drugs? And I said, yeah. And he leaned back in his chair and gave me a look uh, that communicated this sentiment. Uh, okay, asshole, mystery solved. <laughs> and, uh, I was like, okay. he explained that I wasn't high in the air, um, but he, he said I'd been doing drugs enough that it changed my brain chemistry and made it more likely for me to panic. And so at that point, I quit doing drugs and um, ultimately through psychotherapy and a few other things i ultimately came to meditate were you married at that point no no okay you no. did hold yourself together though watching that clip i didn't really I, realize it was a mistake i mean you yeah. threw it right back to the yeah. other newscaster and you you did look a little bit like you were trying to catch your breath but you didn't you still kept a calm cool you know vibe i thought i get two on. i get two responses to that one is if you've ever had ang high anxiety uh, or panic those people know exactly what they're looking okay. at yeah. and then others say, you know, it didn't look that bad. Okay. So maybe, yeah, I haven't experienced it firsthand. So that's why when I looked, I was like, oh, well, he really held it together. Lucky you. <laughs> this is Heidi. I've had like, I've had plenty of panic attacks um, before I understood how to manage them. Um, so I recognized it, but I was also still very impressed at how well you were able to, you know, you say squeaked out, but it just sounded like you, to me, mm -hmm. even having had multi yeah. many panic attacks, um, it's, it really sounded, I was so impressed that you kept it so together. Well, I'm incredibly tough. So that helped. <laughs> <laughs> Very talented. It was impressive. So what was the next step after that? So you kind of got, you got that feedback from the doctor. He was like, well, yeah, duh, maybe don't do drugs. Right. Yeah. And then, so you, so you stopped that and then what happened? Uh, so it's actually, it was kind of windy and weird. Um, totally 
not connected to that. I had been assigned by my boss at the time, who's Peter Jennings, uh, who's who was this major oh, this anchorman. Oh, this news guy. Your kids don't know <laughs> right. who he is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I yeah. talked to a lot of audiences where, you know, People don't know who yeah, Peter sure. Jennings is. Wow. Legend. Wow. Legendary <laughs> news anchor. And he asked me to start covering faith and spirituality for ABC News, which I did not want to do. I was, as I've often said, raised in the People's Republic of Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. Both my parents are academic physicians. And uh, I often make the joke about that I had a bar mitzvah, but only for money. So <laughs> it was not. I was not interested in this stuff at all. I was a pretty committed atheist. And still, I would say now maybe more of an agnostic. Mm-hmm. But uh, – so uh, Peter didn't care about my reservations, forced me to do it. And I ended up spending many years covering the faith and spirituality scene. And through that, I ended up reading a book by a guy named Eckhart Tolle, mm-hmm. big self-help guru. And I thought the book was pretty hardcore bullshit when I was reading it. And mm-hmm. um, I think actually still to this day, I think there's a lot of bullshit in there. But but a lot of um, a lot of very interesting stuff, too. And he describes how we have this voice in our head, this nonstop conversation that we're having with ourselves is constantly thinking about the past or the future or wanting stuff, not wanting stuff, judging people, judging ourselves. This inner cacophony that when you're unaware of it, it owns you. And that was really compelling to me. And I was obvious when I read that, I was like, oh, this is why I had the panic attack. Because I have this inner noise that tells me to go overseas without thinking about the consequences, come home, get depressed, don't even know it, and then blindly self-medicate with drugs. And so it was really a big aha moment for me. The problem I had with Eckhart Tolle is he doesn't really – a friend of mine has described him as correct but not useful. Mm. He doesn't really tell you what to do about this. That's genius. Correct but not useful. Super genius. (sighs) Yes. So – uh, it was, I read his book and I started, I interviewed him and I started doing stories about people in the self-help world. And I, I thought there was so much, there was some smart stuff in here and then just a raging sea of bullshit too. <laughs> and so, and then ultimately my wife gave me a book. I was married by this time. Um, or actually I think she was my fiance at, the, at that time. And she gave me a book by a guy who lives here in New York city. Dr. Mark Epstein is a psychiatrist who's written these beautiful books about the overlap between psychology and Buddhism. And I, I didn't know anything about Buddhism. And I read that book and I realized that all the stuff that made any sense in Eckhart Tolle's mm-hmm. books was lifted from somebody called the Buddha. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and the Buddha actually had some recommendations for dealing with a voice in your head. And one of them was meditation. Which I did not want to do. Right. So, so kicking and screaming. Yes. Kicking and screaming. <laughs> so I read a quote from you uh-huh. that said, "If it was as if I had been sleepwalking through a cascade of moronic behavior. Mm-hmm. Can you speak a little bit about that and what it felt like for you to wake up just going along with that metaphor? Not like the wake up, the spiritual awakening, but like just going with that metaphor. I mean, that could describe my last week. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think that's the way most of us live. You know, yeah. we're, we have this... This non, as I said before, this like nonstop conversation where we're having with ourselves. It's, it's always, we're always on the hunt for the next hit of pleasure. Um, we're always plotting and planning and murmuring, um, under our breath. And if, as, as has been said by others, if that conversation were broadcast aloud, <laughs> you would be locked up. Mm-hmm. And again, we, most of us never have this pointed out to us. What meditation does is, you know, you're forced to kind of sit there with your eyes closed. Usually you're trying to focus on one thing, like the feeling of your breath coming in and going out. And then as soon as you try to do that, 
you're carried away, you know, where do gerbils run wild? What's for lunch? You know, all these random <laughs> things uh, coming through your head. Or I want this. I want that. I hate I hate this person. I love this person. All of this stuff comes up. And in, in meditation, you're having a collision with the voice in your head. Mm-hmm. And that is painful and embarrassing and frustrating, but incredibly useful because it's so scalable to the rest of your life when – Anger ambushes you in the middle of a conversation with your kid or your uh, partner or your boss. Instead of being blindly yanked around by it and doing something you may later regret, you might you might have a buffer between the stimuli in your life and your blind reaction to it. The one of the cliche, the only meditation cliche that I actually really like is what it teaches you to do is to respond wisely instead of reacting blindly, and that's. That's the game changer. That's the wake up. It rewires your brain. It, it well, truly does. That's absolutely correct. And there's enormous – Yeah, if you don't trust everything I'm saying, just uh, trust the brain scans. Well, over and over for the last 15 years, they've been looking at the brains of meditators. And what they're finding is that – this is slightly glib but true-ish – is that you're kind of – when you do this, you're kind of performing neurosurgery on yourself. You're changing your brain. The areas of the brain having to do with self, uh, with self-awareness, with compassion, with focus, which is super important in this age of, you know – mega distraction, mm-hmm. they all change. Uh, stress, the area of the brain associated with stress, um, it's been shown to get literally get smaller. Mm-hmm. So it's very compelling. And that is what allowed me, it was the science that allowed me to start doing this thing. Now, after having done it for a decade, I don't really care what the science says. It's great as an evangelical tool for me to, to, to use the science with skeptics. But uh, after having tasted it myself enough, I, I don't, it doesn't really matter what the science says. So how long did it take you to feel different, like ha- feel the effects of med- your meditation practice? Uh, the first data point was I was at a party and I overheard my wife saying to somebody, oh, yeah, Dan started meditating and he's less of a shithead. <laughs> good so, barometer. Good yeah. barometer. But can uh, we take a step back? Because yeah. I'm not somebody who meditates. Yeah. I'm believing all the hype and I would love to be a meditator. But what does it look like? What does it mean? How do I do it? Okay. Two questions on the table. Let me take yes. them one by one. So how long does it take to feel any benefits? For me, it was a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are two main benefits that or at least initially one is focus because the act of meditation and we'll talk about what it is in a second is just trying to pay attention to one thing usually again it's the breath is the main object that people use and just and and then every time you get distracted you start again and again and again and that is like a bicep curl for your brain just trying to do that which is very frustrating a lot of people think they're failing because they keep getting distracted but in fact the noticing of the quote-unquote failure is proof that you're doing it correctly. Because when you see how crazy you are, then the craziness doesn't own you as much. And so for me, the the daily exercise of trying to focus on my breath, getting lost, starting again, getting lost, starting again, that really helped me stay on task. And there's a lot of science to back that up. The second more important benefit is something we've already been talking about, although we haven't named it, is mindfulness, which is a often used term, I think, People use it and don't know what the hell they're talking about. It's become like such a buzz phrase. There are mm-hmm. books on mindful parenting, mindful lawyering, mindful sex, mm-hmm. mindful mm-hmm. whatever. And I, I sometimes fear that people don't know what they're talking about. Basically, mindfulness 
it, can, it actually has a lot of translations from the ancient Indian language in which it origi- from which it originated. But one way to think about it is just the ability to know what's happening in your head right now without getting yanked around by it or sort of not being owned by your emotions. And we talked about this is what I was describing before is the wake up. Once you have some familiarity with like what your life is actually about. You know, you might think your life is about raising your kids and getting fit or whatever it is, but actually your life is about what's happening moment to moment in your head. And most of us have no visibility into that. Mm-hmm. And so when you close your eyes and sit there and try to meditate, you are going to have a rude awakening about like what your moment to moment experience is really like. And once you have some visibility on that, then you have some agency. You can change it and you don't have to be yanked around by it. And that to me, once I started seeing, oh, yeah situations where I would have just lost it. I wasn't anymore as much. I mean, I still, I can, you catch me on a bad day. I can be just as unpleasant as I was 15 years ago. But the, the um, number, the, the number of times I lose my, I can't, somebody asked me the other day, when was the last time you lost your temper? And I just couldn't think of one. I'm sure I have, but I used to lose my temper all the time. And that's just not happening as much. Um, uh, a friend of mine, this is this guy, Sam Harris. We're not related, but I love Sam. He's a friend, and he is one of the people who helped me get into meditation. He talks about what meditation does is help you cut down on the half-life of negative emotions. Mm-hmm. So, like, if you think about anger, which is something that I experience quite a bit, on its own, the emotion will come and go pretty quickly. But what we do is compulsively re-up it mm-hmm. through telling ourselves stories mm-hmm. about how wrong we were. Why does this always happen to me? It's like over and over and over. And the amount of damage you can do in an hour of anger as opposed to two minutes of anger mm-hmm. is remarkable. So I do still experience anger, but I'm much less likely to just chew on it and chew on it in ways that are like life-destroying. Um, and that's just a huge benefit. Did you so, sit with – oh, sorry. No, no, no. I was just going to say on that, so you would say like it helps you be in the present moment a little better because that's Definitely. what helps you drop the anger. Yes. Right? You know, the only way to see what's happening in your head is to be awake right now. Hmm. Your whole life happens right now. Everything about the past and the future is just a thought. My question was just going to – back to Megan's. I'm also – I want to do it. I, I've tried. Did you sit with someone to guide you through it? How did you actually – learn the behavior or what made you say, okay, I'm going to stick with this. I'm going to do this again tomorrow or the next day. Or did you have like a teacher help you or? I did it pretty low five. So this is back in 2009. Uh-huh. So it was the first time in my life I've ever been ahead of a trend. It was <laughs> meditating before it was cool, but I was reading a book uh, by, I was, I was reading a tons of books about this stuff. And finally I was reading this one book by John Kabat-Zinn, who's a, quite a famous meditation teacher, also a molecular biologist from MIT. So I liked him because he was a scientist and also a meditator. And he had a very simple description of how to do it. And I just did it. Um, so I'll give you to back to your question, Megan, right? Yes. Um, uh, so there are really three steps for beginning mindfulness meditation. The first is to find a comfortable place to sit. It helps to have your spine reasonably straight. Doesn't have to be. You don't have to be super crazy about that. But um, – a good dignified posture can prevent an unintended uh, nap. Mm-hmm. Although, having said that, if you fall asleep, it's actually not that big of a deal and quite common. The second step is to just bring your full attention to the feeling of your breath coming out, mm-hmm. uh, coming in and going out. Usually pick one spot where it's most prominent, like your nose or your chest or your belly. And then the third step is the most important one, which is as soon as you try to do this seemingly easy thing of paying attention to your breath, your mind will go crazy. Yeah. 
all these random thoughts will enter. And this is the key moment. Because for most of us, when we see the distraction, we think, oh, I can never do this. I'm a failure. Mm -hmm. But in fact, as I was saying before, noticing how wild your mind is, what a zoo it is, is the victory. And then starting again is the key act of meditation. So over and over and over again, you see I'm distracted and you begin again. And what happens over time is you just get better at it. Am I permanently undistractable? No way. I'm distracted all the time, even though I've been doing this for nearly 11 years. But I, I, I am much less distractible than I was before. Does it need to take a certain amount of time, or is it, or it's just until those thoughts stop wandering? No, the, your your thoughts will never stop wandering. Okay. Your job, your mind's job, is to secrete thoughts, just the way your stomach yeah. secretes enzymes. It's never going to stop. You're just going to develop a different relationship to it, and that is the key because your your mind's offering up shitty ideas all the time. Mm-hmm. And the better you, the the sort of warmer, um, sort of uh, it's, a, uh, it's, it's like a journalistic remove, but that also has some warmth in it mm-hmm. that you can see it, see the, what's happening in your head without getting yanked around by it and also have a sense of humor about it. Because if you're going to go down this path, which I recommend everybody do, you're gonna, you, you better be armed with a sense of humor because mm-hmm. it's going to be embarrassing what you're going to see in your own mind. Yeah. And that's not just you. It's everybody. It's the way we're wired. Uh, and by the way, I, so to answer just to mm-hmm. – um, I don't want to lose the thread – I, I promise I'll answer your yeah. question. So um, many questions. So many so questions. Many. I started with five minutes a day. Oh, okay. And there was pre-apps. There were no apps or anything like that. Um, so I just sat on the floor of the beach house where I was with my wife at the time and uh, set a timer on my BlackBerry and uh, <laughs> and and let rip. And I just sat there and felt my breath coming in and out of my nose. And I got distracted a million times. Right. I think I wrote in my book that it was like – holding a live fish in my hands, which is really hard to do. But I, at the end of the five minutes, I had a sense of, okay, wow, I thought I really suck at that. And um, that was really hard and, and sort of humiliating in some ways. But I, I saw very quickly this, that this is not hippie nonsense. Yeah, this right. is very useful. And uh, I had done enough reading. I was really sold on the, on the concept mm-hmm. that I just said, I'm going to, I'm, I just said, like, uh, maybe for the next year, I'll do five minutes a day, right. see what happens. And then I got it up to 10 minutes, ultimately. With the breath coming in, like, I'm wondering, I'm a runner. And yeah. I, I find that I'll leave. I won't take headphones. I'll leave my apartment, go into Central Park, and I'll do two or three laps around the reservoir. And I sometimes don't even remember, like, how I got around one lap. And I find that that is a sense of med- a sort of meditation for me. But is that does that, like, count, like? quotes you know what I mean like is that moving meditation meditations. it's moving meditations but I do go somewhere and I do br- I'm hearing my breath I'm not I'm not affected by anything around me and I'm going inside and sometimes a lot of thoughts come up sometimes I get my best ideas sometimes pitches come up in my head like I'll do work I'll do things in my head and I'll go somewhere but it's not like I'm on a treadmill like listening to a song like I'm really I really do feel like it's something that does help me feel a lot better, relieved, releases stress. So does stress. that count? Yeah. Does that count? I mean, I know it's does she it get all, credit. It all, it's all good, I'm sure, and healthy for us. But I'm wondering, does that substitute one or the other? I, I really should, and I should probably ask Heidi this question too. <laughs> you're probably I'm a, a great person to guide me through this, actually, <laughs> sitting right here at our table. But um, I just find at, after every yoga class, exactly how you describe to sit there and do that, I, I, I do, you know, the shopping list, the this, the that. I go through my segment lines. I go through everything in my head as... We're sitting there trying to meditate. Well, then it doesn't count. <laughs> no, right. no, that doesn't. But the running, oh. I'm wondering. 
Uh, my diagnosis, this is one person's opinion, you can take it or leave it, is that what you're doing is extremely beneficial and healthy. Right. I don't, I wouldn't call it meditation. Right, okay. So meditation is not, um, it, so I just have to understand, I come from a school of mindfulness meditation, mm-hmm. and mindfulness is about paying careful attention to what's happening in the moment. Mm-hmm. And so you, and it's the opposite of getting lost in thought That's or true. being on autopilot in some way where you don't remember everything that's happened, mm-hmm. which often happens to us while driving. Um, I don't think that's bad for you. I think what you, what you just described sounds really, really, really healthy. Mm-hmm. Meditation is just a different thing where you're paying careful, close attention to what's happening right now, moment to moment. That's actually defined in Sanskrit as single-pointed fo- focus, okay. single-pointed focus. So like the breath work if you're paying attention to the breath, that's your single point of focus. Okay. So if you were to go for a run, this is just another opinion, yeah. that if you were to go to on a run and you were to focus on your breathing, like for me, even though, you know, yoga is my jam, mm-hmm. I grew up swimming competitively. So I can go swim a hundred laps and just focus on my breath in those laps. Mm-hmm. And that's for me, I'm moving meditation, but I'm not thinking of other things. I'm just focusing on my breath with the repetitive movement. Gotcha. That sounds closer, much closer. Yeah. Yes. But I wouldn't Thank stop you doing what you're doing. No, no, I mean, yeah. You might add, I mean, it, has, yeah. it keeps me sane. And it, yeah. it definitely does feel – I feel like when I don't do that, um, I just feel crappy on days when I don't go for a long run or I can't get that check out. Yeah. But it's also a check-in too because I do go somewhere in my head and I do have thoughts come up and I – you know, it's a mix. It's a mix. But therapy is all about thinking yeah. and talking, right? And that's not meditation but it's super beneficial. So what and is- I feel crazy too when I don't exercise. And <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I, that's, yeah, it goes back true. to what I was saying before at the beginning of this. Like I'm a maximalist when it comes to mm-hmm. well-being and I don't think there's just one silver bullet. There are no silver bullets. I don't think there's just one thing this that's going to really help you. This is just 10% of it, right? Yes. <laughs> 10% of the yes. equation. Absolutely. Does Shavasana at the end of yoga, like if you're laying down, is that – like, I mean, you're saying we have to be seated. So Shavasana. No, 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 no. You don't have to be seated. Okay. The he said Buddha that was had, optimal. The Buddha had uh, four uh, postures. One is lying down. One is seating, seated. One is standing. One is walking super slowly. So oh. Shavasana so I could definitely start counts. walking. There's a really yes. cool walking but, meditation yeah. that's like a specific Buddhist meditation. Yes. It's super cool. Yes. It doesn't look like normal walking. No. <laughs> uh, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a I'm little weird looking. I'm not normal, Dan. Well... <laughs> You're in, you're in good company. Wonder. What does it look like? So, I, oh, go okay. ahead. No, go ahead. No, it's okay. hard to describe. It's okay. like, it's okay. you, well, I, the one that I learned was that you're uh, on the inhale, you inhale your knee up and your arms up, it's like, like as if you were holding something. Yeah, okay. oh. it looks a little like some movie Tai Chi. And the next one, you step your foot down, but it's like the heel and then the oh, that's interesting. Arch, yeah, and then the ball and then the that. toes and then the, you know, yeah. Mm-hmm. On the beach, um, at the end of the day, or like, you know, four or five o'clock at night, I always see the same woman come out t- doing that. But it sounds very, yeah, it sounds like what you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of moving meditations. That's a specific one to Buddhism. Yeah. So Um. my question was really about, because I've heard you say you're not of like the smells and bells smells and bells variety of like kind of like meditation and i think a lot of people their barrier is like okay i'm gonna do this when i can kind of build that meditation nook in my apartment or i have the time to do you know what i mean because like look i have kids a lot of us have kids like it's loud it's chaotic um like my husband and i get up early to met like that's part of what we do in the morning like it, it works for us but we don't have Look, I love a, a, a moment where like <clears throat> I have an hour to myself and I can get in the hot bath or burn incense. Like I love the smells and bells, but who has I really who has the time? So uh, if there was a beginner's guide, and I know you just gave us kind of the three steps, what is the easiest point of entry? Like, would you recommend people using an app or just literally starting where you suggested, which is breath in, breath out? 
I think it's super individual. So there, the good news is that there are a lot of choices now. Um, if you live in a major city, there are all there are now places where you can go and learn meditation in person. And some of them are totally secular. Like here in New York City, there's a place called Mindful, mm-hmm. M-N-D-F-L, and they have a couple of outposts, one on the Upper East Side, one in Brooklyn, one in the Village. Uh, so that's one option in person with a teacher. That really works for some people. Uh, the other option is using an app. Um and apps are especially good for people who are time starved. Uh, you know, our our app, Ten Percent Happier, has one minute, two minute, five minute meditations for people who are busy. We also pair them with short little videos that actually teach you how to do the thing. Um, and then another option is just read a book or Google beginning meditation instructions and just do it on your own. There's no wrong way to do it. I think. Well, there are definitely wrong ways to do it. <laughs> right. But like, you know, transcendent, if, if TM is your thing, transcendental meditation, yeah. then get down with your bad self is what you're saying. But if, what are the difference? I don't even, like I haven't done a ton of research in the meditation well, space. So there's mm-hmm. different types there's of meditation. There's a lot of different flavors. kind of yes. meditation. Just like, and I think to yes. Dan's point, it's so individual because not everybody has the discipline mm-hmm. to sit and watch their breath. And they would just be like, nope, not for me. Blah. You know, but for example, you know, there are some of those the meditation apps with guided meditations, mm-hmm. you know, those are more helpful for people. But then I was actually um, an advisor creating a meditation app for moms. And one of the big questions was like, so do we leave out time with nobody speaking and then come back and speak? Mm-hmm. Or does it have to be talking the whole time? And like, so there's just so many different ways to approach it with the different apps. So, you know, whichever one speaks to you. And then there's Japa Mala meditation, which is my preferred, where, you know, malas are 108 beads. That's the, you know, magic number <laughs> in Kundalini. Um, and you have a mantra and you hold your beads. I actually always carry my mala with me in case I'm on the subway and get stuck and freak out. Ooh, <laughs> I just pull out my mala. <laughs> I look like a crazy person. That's cool. Um, but anyway, with the mala, so what you do is it gives you like a set beginning mm. and an end if you want it. So mm. if that's your jam and the mantra can be anything from like a seed sound of a, a chakra, like it can be ohm if you want. And just every bead you say ohm and then you go to the next bead and the next bead and the next bead. And by the time you're at 108, like, believe me, your thoughts are nowhere else but right here, right now, because you've just repeated the same thing. Mantras can also be like the Gayatri mantra, which is super long or, you know, so you can spend as much time or as little time as you want. But there's so many different kinds of meditation. So I'm fascinated hmm. at like how this one worked so well for you. I think it probably speaks also to your very disciplined, um, very, you know, motivated personality. Yeah, I think there's that. And then also the bulk of the scientific research has been done on this mindfulness meditation, Mm -hmm. which uh, just to clarify, I've talked about the Buddha a bit, a lot, actually. Um, It's mindfulness is derived from Buddhism, but it's been stripped of all the metaphysical claims and religious lingo. And it's really, there's not a lot of smells and bells. Mm -hmm. And so that's what draws me to it. But you're absolutely right. There are tons of the word meditation is a little bit like the word sports yeah. it describes a whole range of activities and so i'm not particularly i mean i've been drawn to mindfulness but i'm not particularly dogmatic about you must do this mm-hmm. one thing so when i said before you can definitely do it wrong i don't mean there's only one right way to do it if you sit down and affirmatively decide you're going to plan lunch <laughs> that's not meditation <laughs> but if you You know, taste test a bunch of different varieties, mala beads, TM, mindfulness, you know, go with what speaks to you. Also, your finances can dictate which one you do Mm -hmm. because, you know, mindfulness is free. Yeah. Um, Right. 
<laughs> yeah, but yeah. I, mean, I think the point is is that it all takes discipline, just like a fitness workout would take discipline. A mental workout takes discipline. So you got to sit down and say, okay, I'm going to do this now. And I think everyone wants to easy out. But the reality is, if you want to learn to do something, meditation is something you can learn to do, right? Yes, that's absolutely correct. And I, I just want to make sure I, I don't – what you just said is really important. Habit formation is really hard. We are not wired as a species to easily adopt long-term healthy habits. Right. It, um, evolution did not care about whether you flossed your teeth. Evolution mm-hmm. cared about you getting enough food and finding enough mates to get your DNA into the next generation. Mm-hmm. That's all it really cared about. So we're good at like threat detection mm-hmm. and finding food, mm-hmm. but we're, we're not <laughs> so good at, at you know, making sure we go to bed on time every night and keeping all the habits that we want to keep. And in fact, what we do is we turn our failure on these fronts into a bludgeon, which we then pound ourselves Mm -hmm. on the head with. And, And that is super, you know, we all do it, but it's pretty destructive. And so what my attitude about, oh, I'd say two things about this. With meditation, I, I, my two little mantras are daily ish. You know, it's great if you try to do it every day, but the first day you miss, your ego or the voice in your head is going to swoop in and tell you you're a failure. And so it's nice to have that elasticity of saying, I'm going to try to do it every day, but if I miss a day or two, it's not that big of a deal. The other thing is one minute counts. You know, if all you're doing is one minute, that's great because that's enough to see clearly, oh, yeah. There's all this stuff going on internally, but I don't have to be owned by it. Um, and the other, the final thing I'd say, I know I said was, I had two points, but the third point of the two is, uh, you know, if you fall off the wagon, no big deal. Just start again. You can miss a year, two years, three years, and then something happens in your life and you come back to the practice. That's It's all good. I, my favorite thing about you is that you're so unassuming. And I was on GMA with you a couple of weeks ago. And then after the segment, I came up in the hallway and he's standing and he has like, he's taken an audience with these, I, I bet it happens to you all the time where people flock around you. He had like a semicircle of people like asking about meditation. And I'm sure it happens all the time. And you've kind of become this accidental spiritual guru, <laughs> yeah. right? The key word is accidental. Um, Those are the best kind. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, but I mean, I'm not really a guru because I'm not presenting myself as I'm not a meditation teacher. I'm not enlightened. I don't wear robes or anything like that. I'm a deeply flawed person who's using that. I'm kind of doing this work in public because what I found is that if I am vulnerable in that way, uh, it's actually empowering to other people. Mm-hmm. And even though it can be pretty embarrassing to me, it it's a People see that and say, oh, that schmo can do it, then I can. I've literally had people say that to me. And so, uh, yeah, that's it just seems useful. Yeah, like I feel like a lot of men have a barrier because meditation is too woo-woo for them. But they see someone like you and it normalizes it, which I think is great. It's amazing. Did your wife get on board of meditation right away? I ask this because I had this hilarious yoga teacher who once said to me about my husband, he was like, well, if, if, if he's not practicing yoga with you, you're going to be like enlightened and he's not and you're never going to last. <laughs> and that was his comment about it. And like my husband and I joke about it all the time because we think it's hilarious. But so like Bianca is your wife. Yes. Did she come on board right away? Does she meditate? Does she? She's definitely on board with my meditating. <laughs> Fantastic. That's been really good for her. Um, so this is actually a complicated subject. Uh, I'll give you the narrow answer to your question then say some more about it. So I... 
The answer is she kind of does, although I don't really know because I've learned not to ask. Because one of the big mistakes people who get into meditation make is they tell everybody about it. And there was a great cartoon in The New Yorker a couple of years ago that kind of sums this up. It had two women having lunch. One of them says to the other, I've been gluten-free for a week and I'm already annoying. And that <laughs> yes. happens to meditators. And so I did that. I started getting into meditation. I'm looking at my wife. She's a physician. She's super stressed. And I'm lecturing her about how she should meditate. And she, as a consequence, had a really bad attitude about it because I was really fucking annoying. Yeah. And so she, um, for a while, didn't do it. And then um, one of my friends, a meditation teacher named Jeff Warren, kind of um, worked with her individually, like, in a friendly way, not formally. And she started doing a little bit and noticed a lot of benefits. And at this time, we had a kid who is now five and he can be, as you guys know, <laughs> kids are difficult and uh, particularly on mommy in this case. And she's found that it makes a real difference. I don't know how frequently she does it. And I don't ask. Aww. <laughs> That's smart. That is smart. That is very smart. I've he's, also not pushed it on marriage. my kid. Yeah. Right. Um, because I'm worried that if I push it on him, he won't do it. Mm. Right. But if he just sees you doing yes. it and yes. sees that you're nicer dad, they teach it in schools all the time. My third and yeah. my fourth and second graders have mindfulness mm. and meditation classes. And there's a lot of evidence to suggest it's mm -hmm. really good. Really I, good I, for school. I, I tagged you the other day. My son came <gasps> over. so cute. He oh, had his little tablet and he goes... Look, mommy, I took this picture of myself meditating, and he was so proud to show it to me. And he was going like this: "You can't, you can't see because this is a podcast." But I have my two he's fingers up. Making a Buddha up, pose. And, yeah, he's making a Buddha pose. And I was like, "That's and so Keanu great." Mudra with his hands. Yeah, and he's four. And mm -hmm. he was like, "They." The, he had gone to a, a school last year, and they taught him. And he was like, "Am I doing it right?" <laughs> and I was like, "Yes, you are doing it right." And he was so proud. And I love that. I think that you know, um, I went to a, a panel discussion a couple days ago with Busy Phillips. And she was saying, it's so much more important that we model for our children what we believe is yes. right than just telling them what yes. to do and then doing something completely divergent. Like, you know, we're feminists in this house. And then two seconds later, it's like, oh, mommy, does I can't get in a swimsuit because my body and the body shaming yourself. It's like mm. she hears so many women as she lives in LA. She was saying, I hear women do that all the time. And it's so negative. Same thing with meditation. Like, I don't tell him to meditate. I don't tell him he can't have candy. I don't tell him all this. But like, he he sees us and he he thinks it's cool. Yeah. Oh, I force my kids to take lots of deep breaths. Mm. That's, that's the only different. <laughs> that's different. I, that strikes me as like basic like biology. Yes, <laughs> life skill. Breathe, drink water. Yes. <laughs> How so do nice. you find that it helps you in parenting just overall other than just being, you know, less of a shithead? Yeah. <laughs> right? Um, patience. Yeah. You know, huge because they, I mean, no surprise, they can be infuriating. Um Space and reaction, would you say? Yes, for sure. I mean, it's part of patience. It's just like he he's screaming or pushing my buttons and, you know, much at a much lower rate now I take uh, – do I take the bait? Mm -hmm. And that's incredibly useful. And then the other thing is on the flip side is being awake for parenting, which mm -hmm. we all know goes really fast. Being noticed – I remember when I – when my, I was about to say when I gave birth, I, didn't, <laughs> I was there trying not to faint. Um, yeah, exactly. When my wife, when Bianca gave birth, afterwards we put it out on social media, and there was this sort of boilerplate language that in the, all the replies, and it was it boiled down to enjoy every moment, cherish every moment. It goes so fast, and I, 
well, you hear things like that, but nobody teaches you how to do that, to yeah. actually be in the moment. And therefore, it's a very frustrating um, instruction. Meditation really is an instruction. It really does teach you how to do that. And so for me, you know, my my kid's so funny and I really enjoy – I mean, all of our kids are funny. And, you know, so I walk out some mornings and he looks at me and says, good morning, dummy. Or, <laughs> um, you know, he just – he's a funny kid. And I love the way he dances and uh, what he – the other night, he was annoyed at me. He said, your next book should be called 10% Poopier. <laughs> just has lots of Poopier. funny jokes. Burn. Yeah, it, it was a good yes. shot. fired. So, so he th- just being able to be awake for <laughs> right. this experience, which is yes. super fleeting, and enjoying it, that is as, as important as the patient's. That's amazing. Now, are other, do other things help you feel and stay alive? Like, do you swear off alcohol, no longer do cocaine? Are there <laughs> other things? Of course he no besides... longer does cocaine. Yeah. Super into cocaine. Super into cocaine. <laughs> Direct pipeline to Bolivia. Right, uh, totally. No, I – so – uh, I'm, I'm, I'll talk about my own behavior, but I'm, this is not prescriptive. This is not what others, what I think others should do. So it's really, you got to work with your own body chemistry and. But I think that meditation helps you find your prescription. That's exactly right. Yes. Because the more self-aware you are, the more you're seeing, well, if I eat this, I don't feel good. Or if I drink, I don't feel good. So for me, uh, I, I, many years ago, about 15 years ago, I stopped doing drugs, but. I, I didn't stop drinking because I never actually had a problem with alcohol. But the, for, after a while, I just started to see that alcohol doesn't make me feel good. So I am not like part of the temperance movement and I'm not going to let my wife drinks a little bit. I have no problem with other people drinking. It just doesn't make me feel good. Um, I'm a vegan. Uh, but again, that's really like a personal ethical decision that I made. And it wasn't even so much about the theory, the ethical theory. It was like, oh, after a while, I just started to feel grossed out by gnawing on bones. Mm-hmm. just didn't like it. Yeah. So that's, just a, again, a personal choice. I am, I, I am not at all You're not the dogmatic. annoying vegan? <laughs> I'm trying not to be. And I really, <laughs> you know, my again, my my son is a committed carnivore. I, I, I <laughs> eat, buy bacon for him on the regular. So it's not... It's just a, a thing that I do. I'm really definitely committed to exercise. Um, I saw you at SoulCycle. What's your favorite? We wrote at SoulCycle together. Yes. yes. Um, my wife is really into SoulCycle. Uh, I, I like Peloton. Mm-hmm. Um, I do Peloton quite a bit. Uh, run, swim, lift weights. Do the whole and thing. what about stimulants like coffee? Do you would Are you a coffee drinker? No. Um, it, I, just, I don't tolerate it. Um, okay. I love coffee, but it just my body doesn't love it. Did so. you find a lot of these changes happened after you started yes. being com- yeah, yeah becoming more aware? Definitely, definitely. You noticed things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you notice things. That's exactly. You right. find your baseline, right? Mm-hmm. Because like a lot of the times we're self medicating, even if we're not doing recreational drugs. It's like the caffeine and the this mm-hmm. and like the CBD sugar. to like relax, or <laughs> even just the things that are legal. Yeah, sugar. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> it's like you know. I, I mean, even just now. I mean, we've we've been in the studio. We've had a long day, so I drank uh, like a like a little like a. Uh, I'm doing air quotes, air quotes, energy drink, uh, healthy <laughs> energy drink. So it's it's healthy, but it's like 200 milligrams of caffeine um, because you're kind of on this constant roller coaster. Yeah, I just had coffee. Maybe if I meditated, I wouldn't I have needed it. Well, but I find that when I'm more, I haven't meditated in a while. I've been like so busy. I've been a little bit on the roller coaster and I get off the beam and I forget what my own baseline is. From the moment I wake up, I'm either trying to kind of go up or calm down. Right. And I think that meditation helps you find your baseline. It does, but it doesn't, in my experience... It does not erase all of your problems and I still hit troughs in my energy or I'm over, I'm upregulated or whatever. It, it, it's super useful, but it is not, you know, I'm, I'm not walking around in a 
bubble of bliss all the time. Sure. Have you ever have you had another any other uh, panic incidents? You know, I I've, I have really bad claustrophobia, mm-hmm. and so. The reason why I was a little late today is I walked up 10 flights because oh, the elevators man. here oh, They're very no. small. Yes. They're very small. Um, so good I Good cardiovascular. Good yeah. cardio. Uh, <laughs> on top of the Peloton was I did the this staircase? morning. <laughs> was the staircase small? <laughs> I don't remember how that staircase was. No, the staircase is totally fine. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 although actually I, I had long been of the view that meditation was not helpful with panic. It, mm-hmm. It's helpful as a preventative measure, yeah. but not necessarily – if you're having a panic mm-hmm. attack. But I recently read this book by Barry McDonough, and it's called The Dare Response. And it's a, basically you uh, – he, he gets you to switch your attitude about panic from being the hunted to being the hunter. Mm-hmm. And so if I get an elevator now, I've been – these were too small for me, but mm-hmm. even a small-ish elevator, I'll say, bring it on. What's the worst you can mm-hmm. do? His argument is – you have had panic attacks, and 100% of the chan- time you have survived. Mm-hmm. It's just a set of bodily sensations and mental phenomena. And if you invite it and say, all right, let, let's see how, mm-hmm. you know, switch your attitude and say, like, bring it on. Let's see what you can do. Uh, that I have – I found that to be incredibly successful. But I took a look at the elevator here, and I was like, <laughs> I'm not doing it in this. Just so you listeners know, he, that means Dan walked up 10 flights yes. of stairs. Yeah, not two. a lot of yeah. stairs. 10. I will say, because uh, sorry, as somebody who did suffer from many panic attacks, it's it's definitely a thing for me. This is Heidi speaking, um, and I still suffered from them after I was deeply entrenched in my yoga practice and as a yoga teacher, and I felt very hypocritical taking Xanax mm-hmm. <laughs> as a yoga teacher um, when I would have a panic attack. And um, but what would happen for me personally is I'd be in a full blown panic attack. I would take a Xanax, and like a, as soon as I knew the Xanax kicked in because I would go (sighs) like I just all of a sudden it was like this influx of oxygen and I could breathe again and that was my personal experience which is never going to be anyone else's but then one day I was in a class and I took this class forever that it was like this crazy hard vinyasa flow with like the hardest poses like back to back to back to back you walked out of there and there was no heat in this room you walked out of there and you would have to wring your clothes out Mm -hmm. you were it was so challenging and at the end of this class this teacher would play an 11 minute meditation from Yogi Bhajan, who is a very famous Kundalini yoga teacher who basically brought Kundalini to our country. And he did. And um, it was an 11-minute meditation. And all you did was – no one can see me doing this unless you're watching it somehow. You take your thumb to the mound of your pinky finger and you would have to hold your arms up at a 45-degree angle. And then you have to flex your palms as if you were holding a lake so they did, nothing oh, fell gosh. out of it. And you had to just sit there sitting upright for 11 minutes doing this. And the whole purpose of it is to bring up all of your crap. And it's it's actually mm. meant to target anger, this particular Kundalini meditation. And um and I just remember like I got so frustrated sitting there for eleven minutes after a ninety minute crazy exhausting vinyasa practice. Oh my and it was so and it definitely brought up a lot of anger and like I have a specific place where I feel anger and but then one day I was doing it and I had the exact same feeling that Xanax gave me. I got mm. this like giant deep mm. breath and wow. my chest just opened. Mm. So I just find it fascinating that – and ever since then, I I told myself that I can control panic attacks and not that it can happen every time. But I was also claustrophobic and had to do like 12 different MRIs in a month for something that happened. And every time I would go in, I 
would I would close my eyes before I got in the tube, knowing I was in a tube, and mm-hmm. and I would just practice my breathing and my meditation, and that got me through those moments that in the past would have elicited massive panic attacks for me. Yeah, because I think you can lean into the panic mm-hmm. or you can lean out, and like <clears throat> I had never had one before until my second pregnancy, and something about being pregnant this last time made me feel like I was being suffocated. Like mm-hmm. my belly was, you know, I popped a little sooner. I just felt, I literally felt like the baby was sitting on my lungs. He wasn't, but you know, it just, for whatever reason, it, it did something to me and I, I started having anxiety attacks and, uh, I would really work hard on not leaning into them because the more that you focus on, oh my God, I'm freaking out. I'm freaking out. The more you're going to freak out. And I'm sure a lot of people listening right now can relate because a lot of people suffer with panic disorders. But what about also with meditation? Like I've definitely been in Shavasana where all of a sudden I start crying because I'm like, wow, I miss my dad. You know, like is, then do you just go to therapy Like, because you're like, okay, that is definitely something that's always with me. I understand it. I face it. But when I lay down in Shavasana, sometimes I'm like, wow, today really sucks. Is Then what do you do with that kind of like sadness where you know it's there or that anger that you know it's there? And then the meditation or whatever rears it. Is it like then go to therapy because mm-hmm. you can't just meditate it away? Um, well, so there are two levels there. So one in meditation, you're not, you're really not trying to get caught up in the story of it. Got it. Um, so you're really just examining anger as an, or sadness in this case, as an impersonal force that's arising right now in your mind. And you start to investigate it. Like, you know, how does this feel in my body? How's it meant? What kind of thoughts am I having? This is kind of the next step in meditation where you're not just focused on the breath, something you're, you're sitting there focusing on your breath and then some big, strong, powerful emotion emerges and you turn your attention to the emotion, not in a way that you're getting you're in conjuring deliberate memories of playing on the beach with your dad or something sure. like that, but more where you're sort of non-judgmentally taking a look at you know, how am I what is this? Is this creating buzzing in my chest and ache in my head, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. to get you to sort of detach, not in a negative way, but to become non-attached, it's a kind of Buddhist neologism, um, from the emotion so that you can see it from a different vantage point. So you're not so owned by it all the time. Now, that's that's yeah. one level. That's how we deal with it in meditation. But I think therapy is deeply complementary because then you can go and actually talk about the story of it. Talk about the content of your emotions with somebody who's trained to help you gotcha. see it. Has something ever come up with you in a in a practice where you're like, wow, I didn't – like that you were just blindsided that, that you didn't know it was there or bubbling under the surface? For me, you know, I've had a really charmed life. Um, so I don't have sort of ancient traumas that have emerged or anything like that. Really, what's been interesting for me in meditation is to see that a lot of my demons are right there on the surface, so close that I never saw them before. Mm-hmm. Like the fact that I'm rushing all the time, constantly rushing, always feeling behind, go, 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 go. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was, I still am kind of yanked around by that. And it was hard for me to see because it was so close to the surface. It wasn't mm-hmm. some big fish at the bottom of the sea. It was right here always. Another is sort of um, anger, but it's not anger because I was, you know, deep, deeply wronged as a child or something like that. It's just 
part of my wiring. I get mm-hmm. pissed easily. Um, a friend of mine, Chris Cuomo, was a news anchor on CNN. He once wrote that his two emotional he's, his two emotional gears are anger and self pity, and <laughs> I, I, I sort of see that a little bit. Um, restlessness, not being um, just not being comfortable where I am. That's tied to the rushing. Uh, so things like that, uh, over time, I've gotten to, I've seen them more clearly. And then when it's happening in real life, I'm in the middle of a conversation with my kid or my wife and the anger or the restlessness or the rushing comes up. I just, I can, and this might be useful for you with sadness. You're in the something, you're trying to do something else that sadness is hitting you. And instead of fighting it, you're not trying to meditate it away. That's in a sort of an aggressive posture. You're you're like, all right, this is here right now, but I don't have to feed it or fight it. Gotcha. And it can arise and pass naturally. And that's sort of that's why I think this meditation component, which is a little bit more clinical, can work nicely with with therapy where you're really diving into here's why I'm feeling the way I'm feeling, what happened in my mm-hmm. past that might be feeding this, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. That's a useful tool. Yeah, that's a perfect place for us to kind of wrap this. Is like feelings are not facts. We can just kind of we can acknowledge them, name them, let them float away. Yes. Thank yeah, you. but sometimes in therapy you want to explore them too. Abs- and then, yes, absolutely. Yes. Well, this is a been- qualified professional. I could literally listen to you all day. No, but yes. so- we're going to wrap this up, but we do always uh, finish with <clears throat> two quick things. Number one, and I think you answered some of these questions, mm-hmm. but I just I just need to ask them because I want to know. Number one, what is your favorite workout? Uh, what is my favorite? Peloton. Peloton's your yes, favorite. Probably. I figured you were going to say that. Yep. Now, this will be interesting for you because you might be working in the morning. So morning or evening workout? I'm more of a morning guy. Okay. Yes. And then finally, coffee, tea, or matcha? None of them. None three. of them. Water. <gasps> sparkling right. water. Sparkling water. Yeah. Yes. I like a little I, sparkling water. I'm a big fan of sparkling Me water. Too. Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. Our very last segment is called <laughs> Karma Call. <laughs> Okay, so, uh, karma. You didn't expect that, did you? <laughs> Brought it for you, Thanks, Heidi. Megan. I Brought appreciate it so much. I love your energy. Um, so karma is the Sanskrit word for action. Uh-huh. So we ask all of our amazing guests, what is one actionable item? We could maybe guess what yours is. Um, some little small thing that somebody could maybe do every day for a week, or maybe they would continue to do it for their life, uh, that would really make a big impact. So a small thing, big impact. Um, we've talked about meditation a ton, so maybe I won't say that. How about <laughs> adopting an animal? Aww. Yes! What a good one! Forever now. That is a <laughs> great Such a good one. I have three ASPC. Yes. We have three ASPCA cats at home. Aww. I'm a big, and I love dogs too, but we haven't gotten one yet. Um, I'm a big, it's like, uh, as I sometimes say when we have animals on Good Morning America, it's like a really cheap way to save a life and improve your own and mm. so i and and it will that is a Aww. gift to yourself that will keep on giving and there are all these animals that are being put down and you can mm. stop that adapt don't shop yes Aww, i love it 100%. that's such a great one Good thank one. you well, thank you for joining us today this was awesome pleasure. and for all of you at home don't forget to subscribe leave us a rating and follow us i have a live yeah give, give us five stars <laughs> uh, we'll be your best friend i'll buy you an ice cream cone and then <laughs> follow us on on the gram and off the gram podcast. We'll see you next time. Thank you. Yay. Thank you. Thanks, guys.